0: If you keep that passage open in Hebrews chapter 1, continuing our little series, Knowing Jesus. Uh, In the fourth century, the doctrine of the deity of Christ came under attack that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, God in human form. And it came under attack by an influential preacher called Arius. It's what later became known as the Arian heresy. And Arius taught that Jesus was a created being, that he had a beginning. There was a time, therefore, when he was not. So according to Arius, Jesus is the Son of God, but not God the Son. He is the Son of God because God gave him a beginning and an end, but not God the Son, not the eternal son of the Trinity, if, we, if you will. And what it did, it sparked a huge flame throughout the, uh, the empire that would dominate the church for 60 years. And it was left to a 20-year-old young man, some 40 years younger than Arius, who God would use greatly to contend for the doctrine of the deity of Christ, and that was Athanasius. And Athanasius, he had a terrible life, standing firm for the biblical truths. That Jesus is God the Son. He endured decades of persecution. He was banished from the church. He was sent into exile five times. He was framed for murder. He was threatened with death. He was slandered by emperors and bishops, all for standing firm to the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Well, in the end, praise the Lord that he prevailed and that the truth about Jesus was preserved and the church has stood on his shoulders ever since. So the truth that I want us to learn tonight is Jesus isn't just the Son of God, but Jesus is God, the Son. C.S. Lewis, uh, he's always good for a quote or two, C.S. Lewis wrote about the deity of Christ, the Son of God, became a man so that men may become the sons of God. That's a great way uh, that C.S. Lewis puts things so well, doesn't he? Well, let's get into this passage. I don't know if you've ever had that experience when you think you know someone, but actually you don't know everything about them. Whether it's a, a work colleague you think you know well, even a family member that you think you know well, or, or a neighbor, somebody you live with, somebody you, uh, you, know, you, you think you know well, then out of the blue one day you find out something daft like, you know, they used to be a professional footballer or they used to play bass in a, in a 1970's rock band or something like that. I don't know if you've ever, ever experienced that. Well, Jesus is a little bit like that. We think we know Him often as Christians. I'm just generalizing now. You know, we, we read the Gospels and we see the things that He does and, and we think we know Him. But actually, for many Christians, do we truly know Jesus? Do we, do we go into the depths of Scripture to learn about Him? To see what the Old Testament has to say about Him? To see what the rest of the New Testament has to say about Jesus? Well, thankfully the Bible does that for us. The Bible, especially the New Testament and the Epistles, it gives us that depth of who Jesus is. It gives us depth to the meaning of the Gospel. To what it, you know, the explanations of of his work. We saw it last week as prophet, priest and king. The Bible does that for us. And for me, there's no better place. There's no better Bible book at all to help us just get a a deeper understanding of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. And especially here in chapter 1. Two things that I'd like us to see tonight. Firstly, the obvious that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, verses 1 to 4. He is God the Son. I don't know, how many of you, have you ever met any famous people? Have you ever met anybody really famous? <laughs> 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 Who? <laughs> Never heard of him. Well, they... <laughs> <laughs> I not you see you might see them on telly. You know, you might you might see their life pan out on telly. You might listen to their music or whatever it is, and you think you know them, you've heard their voice, but but you stand before them. You come face to face with a real celebrity, somebody major league importance, and, and they speak and you're sort of in awe. It's a bit like me when I when I met Chesney Hawks. You know, that, that great British singer, that one-it-wonder, I'm joking, that sarcasm. I mean, why? it was great. I was like, oh, Chesney, wow. But I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You know, I, I suppose I, I've, in the football world, I've met a few people uh, through my father-in-law, and, and sometimes though, it's like, wow, just listening to them. Well, the Hebrew uh, writer wants us to see something of that in God and of the Lord Jesus. He says, well, listen, you know, you might know Jesus. You might know God. You might have read lots of things about Him. You might know some of the things that He says. But I just want to point you to something so amazing that you've probably not realized. Something that you may have just missed in your Christian life. The Hebrew writer believes in a great and mighty God. All-powerful, almighty, absolutely amazing, majestic, Yet he says that this same Creator God came down to our level and spoke in human language. He says that, doesn't he? He says that God spoke, verse 1, in the Old Testament through the prophets. We know that He speaks today through the the Scriptures that we have. But more importantly, in these last days, verse 2, He has spoken to us by His Son. And our job is always, as as Christians, every day when we open God's Word, we should stand in awe of God. The God who created this world, yet wants to speak to insignificant people like you and me. Because we are so precious to Him. So wonderfully amazing to Him. And we should be in awe of it. Our job is to listen to this almighty God. To receive His Word, to believe it, to trust it, and to obey it. So the fact that God has spoken to us in itself is wonderfully amazing, but verse 2, He has spoken to us through the Lord Jesus, His Son. He says, look, God used to speak in prophets, but in these last days, God has spoken to to us by Himself. In the nature of His Son. The incarnate Word has spoken. And he says, he puts a little clause in there. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. And that's really important because that phrase, these last days, in the New Testament, is always known as the time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. So what the writer is saying to us, But today, from when Jesus came to His coming again, how does He speak to us? He speaks to us by His Son. He speaks to us by His Son. All God's speaking to us, all our understanding of God, His will and purpose, has to be now understood through the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. He has spoken definitively through the Lord Jesus to us. Therefore, we need to make sure that we are listening to Jesus. That we're studying God's Word, which is Jesus, the Word of God. All the teaching in the New Testament that's built on the Gospel about the Lord Jesus. We need the Old Testament to understand it better because it points us to Christ. The Gospels reveal Christ as the Messiah, God's Son. And then the New Testament develops the Gospel fully. So God has spoken, and now He has spoken to us finally and authoritatively through the Lord Jesus. But He goes on because He wants to lift Jesus up. He wants us to understand the depths of Jesus. Because not only in these last days has He spoken to us by His Son, He has spoken by His Son whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made... The universe. So firstly, he's talking about Jesus who is appointed heir of all things. Because Jesus is God the Son, He is also God's heir. Everything belongs to Him. On earth, in heaven, in the age to come, everything belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. His inheritance is for the people for whom He died, as well as the whole universe which is under His rule. But he wants to take it even further because he said this Jesus who is heir of everything is also the one through whom God made the universe. The whole created universe. Everything in it. The stars, the planets, the the, the universe to come. Everything was made by God through Jesus. So Jesus' rule... And inheritance are not intrusive in any way or unwarranted, but absolutely natural. They are his rights given by God. And then he moves on in verse 3 because he wants us to see that the sun is also the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. It's a wonderful picture. That Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. I have to say, as a parent, there's there's nothing better when someone says uh, about one of our children, only in a positive sense, they can see something of us in them. So, oh, they always used to say, "Isabel's got my smile." I used to smile a lot. Apparently I'm miserable now going to my wife. But I used to smile all the time. And Isabel always used to smile and say, oh, it's great. We can see something of you. We can see a bit of a character in you. It only works well when it's the positives. There's nothing worse when thinking, oh, it takes after his dad. You know. But, but it's like that with, with Jesus and, and God. All God's greatness, all His majesty shines through His Son, the Lord Jesus. We receive God's character, His gifts and presence through Jesus. It's a wonderful thing when we we see Jesus, because it's more, because what we receive in Jesus is God Himself. Jesus is the light of God burning and shining among us, and Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. What we see in the Son, we see the perfect characteristics as well in the Father. So when we look at Jesus, we should be thinking to ourselves, yeah, yeah we can see his, his Dad there, can't we? We can see the Father in Him there. If you want to know God, then look to the Son. Look to Jesus truly and fully because He shows us everything we need to know about the character of God. And when we see what Jesus is like, we will see what God is like. We see that in John 1.18. Everything has been revealed to us about God in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? When we look at the Son, we always see the Father. And you know, still in verse 3, the Son is a radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. But then he adds on this as well about Jesus. Sustaining all things by His powerful Word. He sustains and upholds by God's will and word all things in heaven and earth. Not only did God bring about creation through His mighty word, the Lord Jesus, but He upholds everything too. Jesus is our sustainer. He sustains the world. Everything, even creation is groaning for that time when Jesus will come back to sort everything out as it should be. And there's more. Look again at verse 3. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The writer, in trying to lift our eyes to the cosmos, to everything on a big scale, brings it down to earth, to me and you. He brings it to a more personal level by reminding that that God the Son is the One who purified us, who provided purification for our sins. He said that in His death and resurrection by Christ's blood on the cross, if we're trusting in Jesus, the forgiveness that we receive cleanses us before God. We are made clean and righteous in God's eyes. And it is the Son who has provided that for us. And not only that, that He now sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Because Jesus died and He rose again and He provided purification for our sins, the Messiah, the Saviour, fulfilled His purpose. He sat down at the highest place of honour imaginable, the right hand of God. His work was done His his efforts at the cross, He he had done it. He had won victory over sin and death. And now He is honored by the Father. And He rules and sustains and forgives with full divine authority and power. Do you know what I realized when I went through these verses? We're only in verses 1-3. to We see again, don't we, Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, the one who God's spoken through priest, the one who's made purification for our sins, the priestly work, and king, he is sat down at the right hand of the Father, ruling and sustaining. But the writer hasn't quite finished yet, because we come to verse 4, and he wants us to see in verse 4 just how great and unique and supreme the Son is to anything else, because he wants us to see that he has become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. It seems a bit odd that he starts to talk about angels. And, you know, it might not seem the most surprising statement. We might just sit here and think, well, obviously. But actually, to to those who he was writing to, to those uh, in the Bible even, this was a big deal. To understand that Jesus is far supreme than even, you know, the angels. Angels were involved. Were told in, 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 the, in the Old Testament involved in the giving of the law to Moses at Sinai. And because of that, they were held up in such great regards. We're also told in the Bible that angels were uh, given uh, sort of places of honor uh, to rule nations and things like that. And not only that... That like the people who the Hebrew writer is writing to, like the book of Colossians, Christians were tempted to worship the angels. So the writer wants to show his hearers and us today that Jesus far exceeds anybody and anything in this universe. He surpasses angels. He surpasses anything and everyone that we could possibly imagine at every level. He is God's authority. He is God's spoken word. He has been given all authority over the cosmos and the age to come. He is the King to whom all people are to bow down and worship and who one day will. Jesus is superior to anything that's been created, even the angels who have been there with the Father forever. I think this Hebrew writer, whoever he is, there's been so many arguments over the years. People think, well, because of his understanding, it must be Paul, but the language is very different. We don't know who he is, but in four verses, I really hope that he's done enough to lift the Lord Jesus up to you and say, just... just Enjoy who He is. Enjoy me explaining who He is. His depth. He's much more than we could ever imagine Him to be. That He is the eternal Son of God. Fully God, fully man. He has all the deity of God the Father because He is God the Son. I do like that word superior in verse 4 and the, the Hebrew writer seems to enjoy it because it can be translated, the same Greek word can be translated as greater or better. And it's the three words that he constantly uses all the way through his letter to show that Jesus is superior, he's greater, he's better than anybody else or anything. So stick with Jesus. You know, think of somebody great. Think of... Uh, something great, and, and then just think, well, Jesus is so much more superior than that. When, when we think about our life, our dreams, our ambitions, our hope, think about Jesus in verses 1-4 to 4 in Hebrews. And how He supersedes all of them and is superior to anything we could ever hope for or wish for. And then remember it is this, Son who has superseded this age to provide a perfect age to come. Everything, everything in our faith, in our future, in our living as a Christian, in our persevering to the end, has been placed in the hands of the Lord Jesus. And if we're trusting Him and following Him, He will sustain us and he will see us through to the end. So Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is God the Son with all the full deity of God the Father. And then in verses 5 to 14, Jesus is God's ruler. What the writer does, I think, is really great in these verses because what he doesn't do, Uh, which we often like uh, when we think about uh, sort of spiritual or theological things. He doesn't use modern-day examples to the people who he's speaking to to uh, prove the greatness of Jesus, his deity. He goes to the past, and he's quite savvy in the way he does it because this is a church who's ready to throw the towel in ready to revert back to Judaism because it's all too much for them. That's, that's the heart of Hebrews. That's why he's just, every chapter, saying, look, Jesus is superior than, than anything of the past, anything of the future, anything of now. He's greater. He's better than Moses, as we see in chapter 2 and so on. So what he does is he uses the Old Testament. He uses what they want to go back to. And he uses it to show how God spoke in the past about the Lord Jesus and how everything in the past was pointing to the Lord Jesus. That's why He's superior and greater than anything. That's why they need to stick at it in their faith. And again, even how the angels worship Him. So He gives these seven quotations. They're wonderful quotations and to make us ask ourselves, how do we view Jesus? How do we see Jesus? Because God wants us to know that Jesus is His ruler. And He has given everything, all authority, His enemies, everything under the feet of Jesus so that we can enjoy Jesus, so that we can have confidence in Jesus, be satisfied in Jesus, and be hopeful in Jesus. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are My Son. Today I have become Your Father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. So, not only is the son, God the son, who has been there eternally, yes, there was a time when God publicly to the world, declared Jesus as his son. We see it at the baptism, this is my son, listen to him. He's not done that to anybody else, not to any angels, nobody of any superiority. And again, when God brings His firstborn into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. Don't worship angels. Why? Because the, the angels themselves worship the Lord Jesus. In speaking of the angels, He says, He makes His angels spirits and His servants flames of fire. He sends at the end, verse 14, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So the writers say, well, look, these angels don't worship them. They've got their job, and that's not the job of the Son. The Son is far greater, far superior. Instead, about the Son, verse 8, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. You see the quotes at the bottom of the page where he's bringing you from. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. God has given the Son, the right hand, his throne to sit. And he will rule forever and ever. There is nobody else like that in the world. There is nobody else. Because our creator, our majestic God has given everything to Jesus. And he says, it's all yours to rule. Can you imagine giving everything you have now while you're living to somebody and say, there you go, you do whatever you want with it. It's all yours to rule. You know, I I, I wouldn't trust my children now. I wouldn't trust my wife. But, But God entrusted Jesus, his son, because he is God the son. And says, this is all yours to rule forever. Not only in this age but the age to come. Such is the superiority, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, You laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of Your hands. They will perish, but You remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but You remain the same. And Your years will never end. He's saying that about the Lord Jesus. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? It's as if the writer's saying, look guys, the reason you want to throw it all away is because you just don't know Jesus properly. And I want to say that that is the issue with so many Christians today. We just don't understand Jesus enough. We don't understand the depths of who He is enough. We don't understand His greatness, all that done, all that God has done for him and through him, for you and me. So I said these seven quotations are meant to make us ask ourselves questions about how we view Jesus. If Jesus is God's ruler of all things in this age and the age to come, then do we believe in the omnipotent power of Jesus, that all-encompassing power, supremacy of the Lord Jesus? Do we believe in that? Because if we do, we also need to understand and believe that this Jesus is for us, not against us. And because he is for us, if people are against us, we have absolutely nothing to fear. If we do, and I trust we do believe that and trust Jesus like that. We need to ask ourselves, how is this belief reflected in our lives? How is our understanding now of Jesus, through what we've learnt and what I hope we know already, how is it reflected in our praying to the Lord Jesus? How is it affected in our daily decisions? Our decision making? In our, concern, in our concerns about the world, if, if God has placed everything, the world, under Jesus, to rule over, therefore God is showing how important the world is by giving Jesus authority and rule, how do we view the world? How much concern do we have about the world? That Jesus, our King, rules. And we're a part of His kingdom. We're a part of His family. We are His royal subjects. I think we need to care for His world too. So the writer of Hebrews in this first chapter shows us that Jesus is God the Son, the Son of God, unique and worshipped by the angels. He rules forever. He created all things. He will bring everything to judgment. He rules and sustains at the right hand of the Father. So let me ask, like last week, how much attention are we really paying to this Jesus? To Jesus our Saviour, our ruler, our prophet, priest and king? How has it been seen in our in our in our lives, in our worship, both personally, privately and corporately? How is this Jesus being used to minister to one another as Christians? Are we, you know, we remind each other about the Gospel, about what Jesus has done for us, but, but do we remind ourselves of Hebrews 1 and encourage each other through Hebrews 1? The depth of who He is and what He's doing for us. How much more can we be dependent on Jesus when we know more about Him? How much time are we setting aside to study ourselves about Jesus, about who he is, his relationship with the Father in the, within the Trinity? Because hopefully we should be excited when we learn more about him, when our, the depth of our, our knowledge as Christians deepens. It should excite us. It excited me. I love Hebrews, you know I do. We'll, we'll preach through it one day. Um, but it's, it, for me it's the greatest book in the Bible but um, it's just amazing because Jesus just keeps boof, jumping out of the page at us wow he's greater than this he's superior I hope tonight just by spending 25 minutes deepening our understanding of Jesus knowing all that we know about him just from this chapter That our love for Jesus is so much more, so much deeper. That the gospel means so much more to us. And that Jesus is more real in our lives and our ministries together. Let's pray.